This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Welcome to Market Scale Education Technology. I'm your host, Sean Heath. My grandfather always said, any day you don't learn at least one new thing is a wasted day. Well, he would be very proud of me today because this day is definitely not being wasted. My guest on the podcast today, I'm going to try not to brag on him too much, but I make no promises, is the executive director of the Share Space Foundation. It's Jim Christensen. Jim, how are you today? I'm pretty well, uh, Sean. Really good to be doing this. I'm very excited to have a, a chance to, to sort of pick your brain today because your path to where you are, I see it as ridiculous and amazing and just fantastic. And you probably see it as it's just another Thursday. You actually started out as, correct me if I'm wrong, a middle school science teacher in Iowa. Is that right? Uh, that is absolutely right. And when you teach in middle school, it's not so much... What you teach, it's the fact that you teach middle school kids. It's about, it's about the who, not the what, when you get in the middle school. One of the things that I know for a fact you take very seriously is you are not, and as the father of, of teenage children, I'm very sensitive to the concept of teaching to the test. I hate that idea. And you've been very upfront in your approach in teaching students how to think, not how to test. I, that that's true, you know. That's really been my thing uh, for quite a long time. But it but it goes back. It it really goes back. I was kind of lucky that I that I had those thoughts and that that I begin to think that way so much. And the truth was, what drove me that way was when I first took my very first teaching job, and I walked into the classroom and I taught science in the afternoon, but in the morning, I taught language arts. And the language arts books we had was the very same one I had hated as an elementary student. Same book. Couldn't believe it. How, how could this be? And I started looking at these at language arts and thought, how can I possibly teach this? And how can kids possibly enjoy it? And so I started looking at, what is it we're trying to teach these kids to do? And really the goals came down to, we want them to communicate clearly. We want them to be able to read well and communicate well. And uh, I started building projects that got at those big ideas. And it wasn't a direct line, test question, you know, activity to test question. But we had, we were practicing the big ideas that we needed. And, and that's, that's where it really got to start for me. Well, you mentioned communication, and that is a key component in something else I know you love, and that's collaboration. You're well known for having a collaborative environment throughout your educational career. With younger students, because they don't maybe have those entrenched ideas, they're not all 100% set in the way they think about things, does that make them more likely to be successful when you put them in that collaborative environment? Well, you know, I, I think I, I, when you talk about younger students, and I picture like really young students, like first grade, second grade, my expertise really starts when you get into about the middle school level. And I've worked with about as low as fourth grade. But kids want to do things together. They, they want to work together. Now, a problem that happens for kids is that 
yeah, they'd like to work together and they'd like to share the load and they'd like to have ideas with one another. But they're also afraid of what happens as soon as you start giving them a grade and they have the sense, the, the really strong student is afraid because they think it's going to be up to me and my grade is going to depend on these other people that, that may not carry their load. And grades throw this complication into it. But I, I, believe, I believe people people are social creatures. Kids are social creatures. They want to work together. One of the things that you've been really focused on providing throughout your years as an educator is new tools. Specifically today, I want to talk about robotics. And I've always believed that a student's comfort with their tools is the is the key element. If you're not comfortable with the tool, you're not going to use that tool. Yeah, I'd say that's very true. Thing about about new tools is you get a new tool in your hand and you see an improvement on an old tool you used to use. You know, I remember taking notes in a notebook and not a not a tablet. I mean, on a with my pen and paper in class and I'd be writing these notes furiously. And now I imagine that students go into class and they take notes in their computer or they, they've got their online uh, course outline and they've got their PowerPoint presentations and all those kinds of things. And I think a lot of times we, we end up using the new tool in the same way we use the old tool and don't recognize how you can start thinking differently. Now, in some cases, we have thought differently. Uh, you know, that using your cell phone certainly makes it uh, different in trying to find your friends when you go to the go go out shopping, uh, but when you talk about robotics, you know what can robotics do in a classroom? Uh, that gets to be a really interesting question because we we haven't had robots in the past. Now we've had radio controlled cars, and I think a lot of times people take a look at robotics and they think, well, let's drive this thing around. And of course, we've got this giant Mars map and giant moon map. And, oh, let's drive around on this. And I'm not that fired up about that. What I like to see is when you give instructions to that robot and you code and, and you do calculations and you do math with it. But, but it makes it so that you use these other skills. Now, of course, that's still using the robot in, in kind of the old way. Uh, what we're looking at right now is how could we do something really cool with it? Well, where we're headed is we've been working both the robotic side and with an augmented reality developer. And we're looking at how we can have the robot pick up augmented reality clues, t- uh, tags on the map that make it as if you can see down through that map and see additional information. Or you can pull up images, you know, that, that don't show on the map, but all of a sudden your robot can pull these up and, and report them back to you. And we just want to come up with this way that we can really turn this robot into the coolest tool. One last thing I want to say is the robot ends up being a thing that most people say, oh, it's, it's kind of in the industrial technology in the, in the STEM class. I, I'd like to figure out how it fits some other places as well. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to get this across the curriculum. That, that a robot might be a motivating factor or a tool a lot of different places. One of the 
concepts that you mentioned is driving. I live in Dallas. I don't necessarily want to go to Mars and then just start driving. I've got enough driving to do here. That's fine. Thank you. I want to do something when I get there. And there are an awful lot of tasks to focus on when we consider leaving our actual planet. And an extra set of hands is going to be critical in our success. You're able to take that what could be a life-dependent situation and make it fun. You're able to to create an adventurous spirit for these students as you inspire them with regard to space technology and the simple idea of traveling to the moon or Mars. Well, this, this idea of going to the moon, uh, I, I would really like to go. I would so like to stand on the surface of the moon and look back at the earth. Of course, what do I really want to do? I want to look back at the earth. I think it's going to be outrageously beautiful from there. But the idea of walking along in one-sixth gravity, seeing this, this otherworldly place is exciting. Going to Mars, uh, you know, going to the moon, we're talking three days up, three days back. Going to Mars, a little bit more commitment. We're not talking about a week vacation here. We're talking about at least six months up, at least six months back, probably a stay of oh, anywhere from two weeks to two years, uh, and an entirely different kind of a thing. But your, your original idea, where I thought you were going, was, was talking about robots with it. And it looks to me like robots are going to have three functions, both on the moon and on Mars. And the first one is going to be to prepare the place that we're going and, and, to, uh, and to, to, to do reconnaissance to understand the specific location, to survey this place, to get all the information we can possibly get. And the second is to prepare the actual base, build this thing before we get there, put things together. And then the third is to actually operate the base so that the people don't have to do that. You know, robot takes care of the dishes. You know, robot cleans the house. Robot takes care of the, you know, just all the, all the, the chores allowing the people to do the things that only people can do. Well, we did just celebrate the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing, and I think something a lot of people would be surprised to learn is there are still things we don't know about how we would live on the moon. Oh, oh my. i tell you what. There is so much stuff. i tell you what. I go out and speak to many, many kids. I say thousands, maybe it's hundreds. The truth is, probably is thousands. And there's always a question that I get asked. Well, the first one is, how do you go to the bathroom in space? But there's another one that I, that I get asked, and that is, are there aliens? Now, everybody, the teacher kind of is embarrassed when, they, when I get asked that. The kids kind of giggle. And uh, I say, I, I don't know. I just don't know. Well, then they kind of look at me like, who is this guy? And, and I start talking about, you know, the fundamental reason we look out into space is to find out, are we alone? You know, we don't say, are there little green men out there? But, but it is a question of, are we the only life in this entire universe? And that is, is such an exciting thing to think about. And now I've already kind of forgotten what you even asked me because I get started. I get so excited about this idea of, of exploration and and what it is that we don't know, I, I end up telling the kids, I know this much, and I put my fingers about an eighth of an inch apart. 
And then I move my fingers in just an imperceptibly small amount and say, and that's probably what you know about this, because I've been studying all my life about this, and I know that much, and you know this much. And then I put my arms as wide as I can and say, and this is what there is to know. And so the difference between you and me is incredibly small in what we know compared with what we need to know. Okay, for a specific, how is the body going to react to prolonged stay in one-sixth gravity? Good question. We don't really know that. We know a lot about microgravity. One-sixth G? Uh, not so much. Not at all. There's, there's, just, there's just things like that that just the most basic of basic things. Can you do me a favor and walk me through a, a brief problem-solving activity as you might present it in a classroom? A problem-solving activity. Okay, let me, let me go a, a route that, that maybe would be a little unexpected, or at least I think it would be. Uh, I just wrote this activity, and I, I really get a, get a big kick out of the activity because uh, it's, it's as much language arts as it is science. And it's actually got some social studies in it. It actually kind of gets it at a lot of different areas, at cross-curricular kinds of things. But uh, I called it the Big Red Planet Tour. And I kind of laugh because, you see, I'm a Nebraska football fan, so Big Red Planet Tour, or it's the Big Red Planet Tour. That's how I get away with it. Very subtle. Very subtle. Very subtle. But anyway, I, I think that most of, my friends, most of my friends will see that and laugh. And the people that, that don't know me will say, oh, the Big Red Planet Tour, you know, kind of like the Big Red Bus. But what I did was I asked students to consider that if they were on Mars and they were giving a bus tour, much like the kind of bus tour you get on when you go to New York City with, the, you know, you get on the bus without a top or you go to Philadelphia or some such place and they drive you around and the, the bus driver, the, the tour guide sits up and says, over here on the left is this thing, and over here Ben Franklin lived there, and, and uh, you know, they tell, they tell a couple bad jokes. I challenge kids to come up with a tour that they would give on Mars. Okay, if you have, we have this entire map, this, you know, the entire planet's surface. And incidentally, the, the, dry, the, the area of Mars is about the same as the land area of the earth. So, you know, you got plenty of space. But I tell them, if you could take a tour of places on Mars, where would it be? And how could you put it together into a theme? So we started laughing and saying, okay, what themes would we choose? Well, we came up with Mars' greatest hits, and those were the big craters. Or the Ring of Fire tour, and that's where the, where the, uh, the volcanoes are. Uh, we also had the Oldie Goldie tour, uh, and that was where the rovers have been. Um, we had the science fiction tour, and that's where science fiction movies were centered at. But the idea being that, that students would write out a script and say, over here on the left is this, and this is why it's significant, and over here, and tell a couple jokes, but they would, they would ring around the planet uh, and, and tell about it, but pick out specific points all related to a theme. Once they had that, they'd have to figure out the exact routing so that you could actually go up and down that topography. Because our maps that we, that we send out are topographical maps. And there's places where the, topo the, the elevation changes very rapidly on Mars. There's plenty of flat spots too. But you can't drive across some places. And so they'd work on that. And then eventually what they would do 
is they program the robot to drive that pathway and they would provide the commentary while the robot drives. Now, the truth is, that's, that's just fun. But what, what do you learn? You know, you, you learn about the planet. Uh, you learn about making a presentation. Uh, you learn a couple bad jokes. Uh, you learn timing. You learn some math. You've got to measure. You learn some map reading. So that, that would be a problem-solving activity. And that's just, that's a new one. The Big Red, pardon me, the Big Red Planet Tour. We have mentioned a, a small age range of students from elementary up to middle school. And I want to point out that you don't discriminate. You were happy to teach any age, as is evidenced by the fact that you were the director of education at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. The list of things you have done is ridiculous. If anybody wants to read about you, they can go to the Aldrin Family Foundation uh, webpage and read about you. It's ridiculous, actually. I do have a question, though, looking through this. Um, is there a marked difference in the atmosphere in a, a classroom setting from middle school students to the age ranges that you saw there at the Kennedy Space Center? <laughs> I'll tell you what, middle school, middle school teachers get dog years credit for every year they teach. That, that's the joke we have. And I, and I tell that to middle school teachers and they just smile at me and shake their head kind of with a tired look. But middle school kids are, are awesome in that when you work with middle school kids, they can be so excited. You can get them so excited about learning and so into working with one another and doing, and they're so capable, so incredibly capable. And then on the other hand, you're, you're fighting continual hormonal challenges. And so it, it, it's, it's an incredible challenge working with middle school kids. I just love middle school kids. Uh, now, high school kids, a little bit different. Elementary kids, a lot different than that. How does that look like at Kennedy Space Center? What would happen with us at Kennedy is we'd get a range of kids, uh, especially in our summer camps, and we'd get about kindergarten, first grade through, through sophomores in high school, typically. And we'd split those kids up into groups, so that in, into age groups. And I, I'd get instructors that would, that would really match up with them well. Uh, the other thing that would happen to us there is about half of our visitors are internationals. And internationals bring different, different viewpoints and different cultures. And that is so cool because, like, culture. Somebody, somebody told me this. I don't know who it was. I wish I could give credit. They said, culture is the set of rules you live by. You don't even know they exist until somebody breaks one. And so here we are at Kennedy and we have some kids that come in from another country, and they do something that you look at and you say, whoa, what did they just do? And then you begin to realize that it is a normal behavior for them, and immediately it's like, oh, that's really bad. And then you realize, no, it's not really bad. It, it reflects that they have a different cultural setting than we have. And as you begin to realize that, it, it can just become so much fun working with these different kids. And the first time when you see something come up, you know, and there's, there's these stereotypes about culture as well. There are, there are differences in culture. But as these things pop up and you begin to learn them and, and you're not shocked by it, and you can even, even talk about some things uh, with kids. And, and I think the kids, 
when you when you can mix a bunch of kids in that diverse environment, uh, that's what's just the most fun thing. And I love that about being at Kennedy. I guess for my last question today, when you have a classroom full of students like that from different cultures, I would imagine you go in with a pretty good idea of the challenges human beings face surviving when they leave Earth. You kind of know about oxygen. You kind of know about uh, heat, water. You know the important things. When you get a group of students that are multicultural like that, are you surprised sometimes by some challenges that they might bring up that you hadn't originally considered? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kids kids will amaze you and challenge you and surprise you every single day. Uh, just ideas will come up and new combinations. It's, it's kind of like you put, you put a particular combination of kids together and you get a different result than when you put this different combination together. And it's, it's really fun to, to mix kids together and do projects. I, I love to design collaborative projects that de- the, where kids depend on one another. And it's not just in small group. I love to set up projects where the entire class is operating it as if they're mission control. And there's a flight director and there's an assistant flight director, deputy flight director, we usually call them, public affairs. But then there's, there's teams that have specific things that they're supposed to uh, create that another team depends upon, and they that team depends on somebody else and somebody else, and everybody depends on one another. I, I draw these diagrams where it arrows who's going to produce what for who, and I try to get everybody dependent upon everybody else. And and when you put kids of different of different cultures together and different backgrounds, uh, that's when the magic really happens. And when you put them in situations like that where they're depending on someone else for success, but they also know someone depends on them. That's how you really start to learn how to work in a collaborative environment. Exactly. Well said. Well, today it has been an absolute honor and a pleasure to have a conversation with the executive director of the ShareSpace Foundation, Jim Christensen. Jim, thank you so much for taking time today. This has been absolutely fantastic. You are so welcome, Shaw. This has been an incredible experience.